I get no kick from champagne Mere alcohol doesn't thrill me at all So tell me why shouldn't it be true I get a kick out of brew Hello everybody! How, how are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing well. Welcome to the Parkscope Unprofessional Podcast Hour. My name's Joe. It is a snowy day in Pittsburgh here on Sunday, January 17th. Uh, yeah, we're, we're having a good day. Joining me today is Alan. Alan, how are you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. Yeah. Glad to, glad to be back on the normal podcast. Yes, we, uh, you've been, um, your ostracization has ended. Uh, you are now welcome back. You're like, um, uh, Cat Stevens. Now you're welcome back into the fold. Uh, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, dude, how are you? Cat uh, Stevens is welcome back into the fold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's not uh, even Cat Stevens anymore. Yeah, what is Cat Stevens' name now? I forgot what it was. I, that's why I wanted to say Cat Stevens and not get it completely wrong and <laughs> make, not make an ass of myself. Um, I, I need to Google this. Cat Stevens is now... Um, Yusuf Islam. Yusuf Islam, yes. Yeah. Or Yusuf Cat Stevens. He yeah. goes by both. I, I just, um, like, I don't want it to be, like, like get it completely wrong and then make an ass of myself. So instead, I'll just dead name him, I guess. <laughs> Which is I, even what? worse, I maybe. I don't know. The fact that he came back. Yeah, I, I would say like come back more as in he's like allowed in the country or so. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't think like after. he's come back as in like wow, all the kids are dancing to him on TikTok. More like <laughs> you know, he's like we're allowing him back into the country. Um, anyways, enough about, uh, all of that stuff. anyways, um, we got a fun, we got an interesting show for you today. Um, I'm really excited about this one. Yeah, we're talking about Cat Stevens, for starters. Yeah, welcome to the Cat Stevens cast. Um, (laughs) we are discussing all of his hits. Um, we are, we we will be dedicating. Nothing nothing is going to draw more people. In the target demographic of eighteen to thirty-four, than discussing cat Stevens. <laughs> yes, um, you, you you've heard a serial. Well, we're doing a basically a six-part series on cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. Um, we're going from talking about demos, the creation, the reception, all of that. Now that theme parks cast. are dead, we're just going to talk about uh, adult-oriented rock artists from yes. the 1970s. Uh, this is going to be so, season one. Uh, we're yeah. going to be talking about folk singers. This is season one. Uh, season two is going to be Peter, Paul, and Mary. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say exactly that, actually. <laughs> Which my mom loved. My mom was like a huge fan, so like we always have to watch those specials, and I'm like, oh my god. Season season three and four will both be dedicated to the Carpenters, <laughs> with season three ending on a serious cliffhanger. Yeah. So. Uh, can't wait. Anyways. Yeah, R- Raffi Cast is coming to you soon in 2022. Get ready. Hold on to your butts for Raffy Cast. It's gonna be it's gonna be a wild ride, man. Anyways, we just talked spent five minutes talking about uh Yosef Islam and uh folk rock, so <laughs> Oh man. I'm just gonna I can't wait to get the angry text from a uh, Hyde basically being like, This is the worst podcast opening ever, including <laughs> the moment including the time that you told the story about locking Alex out of the endless summer hotel room. So, so. <laughs> Uh, let's uh, let's dive into one news topic. Uh, there's been a bunch of news happening. Um, Disney discontinuing uh, Magical Express, which I feel like is kind of beaten uh, into the ground now. Um, 
I did a little article on that uh, about basically how you could save money staying at Universal versus Disney, especially since mm-hmm. Disney has like no actual perks for staying on site right now. Uh, besides transportation, um, got that. Then we also have uh, they're delaying the opening of Super Nintendo World due to COVID. Which, man, that was real ballsy of them to put a date on that. Uh, not gonna lie. <laughs> um, and and a bunch of other stuff. But I think the one I want to talk about because of how they worded it and how the f- how these things are looking is Disneyland has basically terminated their annual pass holder program. And are rebooting it, and they use the term membership. And I think this is really interesting, um, especially when you look at something like Six Flags is offering. Um, my big thing uh, with, with, with the news is I feel like it, it's way too complicated, uh, like the annual pass holder situation if the parks are closed more than a year. Um, you know, what, what time, you know, like it, basically you come down to, okay, well, who gets uh, renewed? Who's canceled? Who's getting their dates pushed? What's going on here? What's going on there? And Disneyland just always had that annual pass holder problem, and they've always wanted to reboot the annual pass holder system, and they just always kind of got cold feet. And it feels like this is the time they're actually going to do it. They're going to do something new. And Alan, what, what are your kind of thoughts on it? Uh, if you have any, I guess. You know, when I first heard the news, I, I saw a lot of people, you know, complaining or discussing it. I thought it was very strange that there was so much effort put into this discussion on the fact that Disneyland closed 10 months ago, has not reopened, almost certainly will not reopen until I would say at earliest summer, if they're lucky. Yeah, I, I was um, thinking summer at the earliest, like more yeah, likely probably I, I, the fall. More realistically, I could see that park being closed all the way through this year. And I just, it's tough for me to really have like a really strong feeling about what Disney is attempting to do other than the obvious fact, which is at some point you have to stop taking people's money for a product that doesn't exist. And or a service in this case, which is Disneyland. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that Disneyland is gone, hasn't been bulldozed, but functionally, it's the same as being a complete, you know, hole in the ground. Like there's nothing to be done with Disneyland right now because it cannot open. So, yeah, I'm sure that they want to redo how they approach season pass holders. Um, or annual pass holders, I should say, since there's no season per se. Um, And I'm sure that this will give them an opportunity to do that and to possibly reduce the amount of strain that pass holders put on the parks. But I'm also kind of left with the thought that when this is over, when there's a lot of big quoting marks about over and what that means with COVID, um they're going to need people to come back to that park real fast and they're going to need to make money. So I'm, I don't know what they have in their minds as to what it looks like when this reopens. I think that in their minds, it's going to be like a spring band, like a, like a, a rubber band springing, you know, like there's tension, 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 tension. When you let go, it's basically, you know, going to be like this predicted orgy of, complete excess that's going to happen at the end of COVID, which I'm not sold on, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, that people are just going to go out and, like, be crazy. Yeah, people are not going <laughs> to be trapped in their house for two years. 
or year and a half or however long it ends up being when this is quote unquote over. And then, you know, immediately everyone's going to go out and like get new jobs and the economy's going to roar again. Like I'm not, I'm not buying into that. Um, I don't think it's going to be that easy. I think there's going to be a lot of people that are, are going to make things difficult <laughs> to, for lack of a better term, um, whether it actually is over and we have herd <clears throat> immunity and it's, you know, it becomes nothing more than another, you know, annual nuisance to go get your COVID shot or alternately, like we have people that don't get shots. We have people that don't want to leave the house because even though it's quote unquote safe, they don't really buy into it anymore. There's a lot of, there's a lot of lack of faith in institutions at, at the moment, which I, I think needs to be addressed. Um, but in any case, I, I don't know. I don't know what Disney is thinking. And I, to be honest with you, I think Disney doesn't know what Disney is thinking. Disney, Disney will need to redo their pass holder system based on the new reality. And I think they need to see what that reality is first before they go back. Because I don't, I don't think there's any going back to exactly what it was, you know, in 2019. I don't think that's mm -hmm. realistic. I don't think that's a rational or an intelligent perspective. I don't believe that they believe that either. I think they're, they're looking at it you know, as being much more complex and, and under all those circumstances, you can't just let everybody back in the park again with the passes. It just, it just, not, it won't work. It's just not going to work. And, um, you know, at some point they had to cancel the passes. It's surprising that it took this long. Six flags and Cedar fair, just like continuously pushing out how far your pass works for based on what you paid for like two, three years ago, which is nice of them. But, you know, I, I I expect more of this rather than less. You know, if we get to the point where May comes around and we're still not close to like Magic Mountain and Knott's Berry Farm reopening, I think you'll see similar refunds and similar changes to how those particular parks may interpret doing things that are not seasonal. But um, I, I don't I don't really. I don't see anything that's obvious on the horizon because I don't think Disney knows what's going to happen. And I, I don't think that they can plan for that either. I think mm -hmm. they've learned some lessons and this might be one of them. Yeah. Just, Hey, wipe the, wipe the slate clean. We have some ideas, but let's actually get over this and see what the next steps are and make, and, you know, plan from that way. Mm -hmm. Basically, <clears throat> excuse me. So I think one of the interesting things was them mentioning memberships and my, my thought process is, hey, you know, in, you know, instead of getting your, you know, yearly, I can't believe Disneyland costs this much for an annual pass discussion, just skipping right to the Six Flags model mm -hmm. and going for a membership program a month and basically milking your biggest fans, basically saying, hey, buy your Disney, Disney, you know, I don't know what to call it uh, because they already took Disney Plus. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll come up with some with some name. Honestly, you know, if that's what they do, that's that's fine. Like, I think that that's a totally adequate idea. Six Flags did it, obviously mm -hmm. first. You know, as far as American parks go, and it's worked very well for them. Um, I would imagine that it would work very well for Disney too, and I think that there would be a lot of desirability to obtain higher status levels mm -hmm. by paying more money. Oh yeah. Even if even if it just results in like a twenty percent off at like, you know, getting one of those cones in, in Cars Land. So yes. 
you know, just like even little things like that, you know, having pass holder events, having this, having that, having lounges um, for people who have upper tier memberships. I think all that stuff is a really good thing for them to investigate. Uh, I agree. It, it, it does, however, it begs the question, which has been out there for years already, as to whether or not Disneyland has effectively become a uh, a country club. You know, it's ostensibly a country club for people who are overwhelmingly uh, upper middle class to wealthy living in Orange County, greater Los Angeles area um, to go hang out at. You know, I've I, I myself have been in a teacup at, um, at Disneyland with an actor or actress. So like, <laughs> these things happen and and. You know, I, I see some degree of appeal for a lot of people that are pass holders that do go very frequently. They're the kind of people that show up every Wednesday after work to go mm-hmm. like blow off steam. Um, but I, I think once you start getting that membership discussion <clears throat> and seeing those prices increase, it, it, to me, it feels a lot more a lot more correct to start comparing it to something like a. Uh, a country club. But I know some people might have some weird feelings about that, but that's kind of what it's becoming. And um, rather than like an entertainment venue, if that makes sense. Yeah. I'm just imagining you and like you and like Julia Roberts in a teacup discussing boxing. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot. My wife was like, do you know who that was? I was like, no, I have no fucking clue. And it was somebody that was actually like somewhat famous. I was like, oh, okay. And, like, it just moved on with my life. Like, obviously, it had no real effect on me because I don't remember who it was. I'm, she'll remind me later. She'll be like, how did you not remember it was that? And I'm like, ah. Well, there was that time I met Tim Burton <laughs> at Disneyland. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> lots of people go to Disneyland and, um, you know, look, it's, it is what it is, right? Like, it's a very safe place for people to go have fun. And yeah. it, it's pretty much the safest place you know, across the board. It does as little as possibly can to offend anybody of any sensibility. So I, I get the appeal. I get why some people might want to go there. It's not it's not how I would necessarily do things if I lived in Southern California, even as a theme park guy. But, you know, everyone's allowed their own their own feelings on this and I don't know. I, I, I sense that it, like you said, it'll be changed, but what it'll be changed to precisely and what it'll resemble, who knows? We we just we don't know enough about what things will look like in two to three years to make that assumption. And mm-hmm. and I'm not I'm not gonna rush on the bandwagon and throw out a prediction right now. Mm-hmm. I, I mean I'll 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 make a prediction. <laughs> I don't care. Let's, let's get let's get the Joe prediction. <clears throat> yeah, so my prediction is that they'll actually go towards a Disneyland uh, a, a Six Flags like model. But what they'll do is they'll just start bundling in a bunch of their kind of lowest common denominator uh, plans. So basically, like, you pick up your Disneyland subscription and they're, you know, it basically they charge more. Like, I think I when I was doing the math, the base level pass, like, when you break it down per month is, like, around, like, 50 bucks or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, like, the normal pass, not the flex pass or anything like that. But I imagine you'll have a membership and you'll have membership tiers. Like the lowest one will be like 50 or $60 a month. You know, you can you can book on these days and these times and show up, you know, 
dur- during the, that those days. And then you'll eventually climb up the ladder to like the point where you reach a uh, you know more than a hundred dollars a month, and it includes like D twenty three memberships and Disney Plus and all sorts of stuff. Of where, yeah, if you break it out, it doesn't make any sense. It's not any cheaper, but it it, it gives you the illusion of value. Um, because you, you, you know, like, like it's the famous um, example of you know when um, magazines are selling subscriptions or news, newspapers is a better one, is, you know, you have three levels. You have digital only, you have mm-hmm. print, and then you have print and digital. And they expect no one to buy the print only. <laughs> it's just there right. to push the print and digital version. So I imagine that's what Disneyland's going to, like, kind of go for. Like, they'll have a this this one that, you know, a lot of people buy, this middle one that no one's going to buy, and then they're going to you know, add all this other free stuff to it, and everyone's going to buy that one. Like, they'll just be like, yeah, I'll just throw my Disney Plus subscription in here and all that stuff. So I, I think that's what they'll do, and it'll just be your monthly Disney payment to them for entertainment, you know? It's like in-person, online. Like, and, and if Disney had, you know, a, 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 a video game division, um, which it seems like... They're about time to build another one up before dismantling it in four years. Oh. Um, you know, that that would be something they'd throw in there, too. Like, oh, you also get, you know, all these games for free or, or something. Yeah, so. no, I can see that. I can definitely see that. And I think, like, okay, like, I would say it'll, it'll make sense for some consumers. And if we're being honest here, like, a lot of the really hardcore Disney people are people that watch, like, Disney Plus. And, you know, they, they basically... The really hardcore Disney people are almost like everything around them in their lives, minus maybe their job, has like some sort of Disney relevance to it, right? Like you'll pay $175 a month and you'll get uh, the ability to book an additional Fast Pass Plus on something at Disneyland on the day of, mm-hmm. you know, like kind of like how the Diamond membership for Six Flags, you can get a. Uh, uh, line skip pass for something when you show up there. Like mm-hmm. it may not be great, but you'll get something that you can skip the line on, no matter how busy it is. Um, you know, you'll get like free parking. You'll get, like you said, Disney Plus. Maybe you'll get ESPN Plus. You know, Ooh. some sort of TV bundle. You'll get like ten percent <laughs> off on food, ten percent off on merch. And for people that are out there buying that own like fifty, sixty Disney shirts and things like that, like. You know, to them, this represents some kind of deal. And and you could even do other stuff. Like, if they lose people from Club 33 over the last 10 months because of unemployment or people just decide to cancel or whatever, and they work their way through that waiting list, they may offer, like, oh, you know, you pay $250 a year and you get, like, one, you know, reserved meal Monday through Thursday at Club 33. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, like there's a million things that they can they can pitch in there that basically cost them nothing. Right. And same thing with like Six Flags. Like there's no there's no actual cost to Six Flags just giving you a line skip pass for the Texas giant. Like it doesn't cost them any money at all. It's it's literally free. And, you know, it just irritates the people that are in line that you get to skip that. But, you know they've kind of programmed the people there to know that that's a possibility and they're fine with it. And I think that's kind of what you can realistically expect from Disney if they were to go to a membership model. And I I wouldn't be surprised if they did something like that and they had tiers like that and those kind of benefits. 
but ultimately we just don't know enough about the the situation forthcoming to say definitively like what they're going to do and 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 i i could see it for sure i could see them just being like yeah what we had before was good too mm-hmm. and like doing nothing to change it or update it or anything <laughs> so we'll, we'll see I, I i'll be hopeful really it doesn't matter to me because i'm not living in southern california um and i don't expect to be living in southern california and i don't really care if season pass holders get to go all the time i would prefer that they maximize the money that they can get from those people with having them come as less as, as least as possible mm-hmm. like that benefits me personally yeah um because i'm just i'm just not that that consumer i'm in a, a whole different class so wish them luck that's all yeah. i can say <laughs> yeah so uh it was just an interesting thought and um, and just I think there's just a lot going on there, so I just kind of wanted to discuss it for a little bit. Yeah, but yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, get into our main topic today. Uh, this is going to be an interesting one because it's going to be totally different and a little weird, and I'm I'm here for it. Um, Alan, a little while ago, you were on Twitter and you're lamenting one of like the craziest time frames in themed entertainment um, was the Vegas boom of the late '80s to early '90s with Steve Wynn. And all those guys, you know, basically trying to jockey and try to, like, take over Disney's position. Um, I mean, even to the point where Steve Wynn was like, hey, Tony Baxter, you know, screw those guys, come work for me kind of stuff. Um, and and just how Vegas kind of tried to do the whole family thing um, with, um, with all these themed hotels and themed attractions and all sorts of stuff. And then basically how they just totally got rid of it. <laughs> and how yeah. they, and, and how they and it's almost a uh, a, a completely lost uh, period of time in themed entertainment, and I think it's up there with the uh, the the '70s, early '80s boom of regional themed entertainment, whether it be the Six Flags parks or the Marriott parks or um, the Kings parks, um, and how you know those kinds of all those, those all popped up over the years. So uh, do you kind of want to just get into this a little bit and we'll, we'll discuss yeah. all this weird stuff? Yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about this. But first, let, let's kind of like just provide a little bit of history for people that don't necessarily know much about Vegas. I, I know a lot of the people that are going to be listening to our podcast are not like, you know, my age or older types where they're going to be primarily like millennials, Gen Zs. And for them, what they know about Vegas is that Vegas is a lot of pool parties and there's some gambling, and they're not really sure why exactly it is that Vegas was ever a big thing, but definitely is, especially if you live in Southern California. Um, if you go back to the 1950s, Las, the Las Vegas Strip became, which is technically not Las Vegas, you know, as, as we should all remind everybody, um, basically became an area in which casinos were legalized. Uh, Nevada in general has some pretty lax laws about certain things. Casino gambling being one, uh, sports betting was another for a long time. They were allowed, they were permitted to be the only place in America where you could place sports, sports bets on events, like whether it be, uh, anything other than horse racing and highlight, basically you could go make a bet legally in Las Vegas. And, uh, you know, a number of different hotels and casinos opened really from the 1950s on, uh, actually 1940s on when Bugsy Siegel opened the Flamingo 
And that kind of pushed Las Vegas to the forefront because then as the mob money came in, that allowed them to pay for really big headliners, people like Elvis Presley, who, of course, is famously connected to Las Vegas even now, came into Las Vegas. The problem was in the 1970s, the mob left and they sold Vegas basically to Howard Hughes, who was one of the wealthiest people in America, uh, owned TWA Airlines, of course, which is also now defunct. And he went crazy. Uh, I believe he was living on, I think, I think he was living at the Sahara or the Aladdin. I can't remember which one on the top floor, you know, with tissue boxes on his feet, watching old war films. Do you know what's funny is that the only reason why I know that reference is the Simpsons. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> just Montgomery stopped, Burns. He trimming his fingernails, you know, things like that because he was so afraid of germs. Like he just, a, you know, he went crazy and unfortunately he went crazy at the same time that he basically owned the Las Vegas strip. So during the 1970s and into the 1980s, Las Vegas was actually going downhill. It was not, it was basically staying at best static mostly kind of declining. And that decline started to peak in the early 1980s when Atlantic City in New Jersey legalized gambling as well. They never had sports betting, again, because of laws that have been set up to specifically prevent sports betting in America outside Vegas. But they did build large casinos. And so you had this, this huge group of casinos like Trump's Taj Mahal, the showboat, the MGM Grand, and so forth that got constructed in Atlantic City. And that began to take away a lot of the East Coast uh, gambling population from Las Vegas. That was only further accelerated in the 1990s when they constructed Foxwoods, but that's a different story. So as Atlantic City is being built up and as, as Las Vegas is dealing with all of this additional competition that never had before, they start to recognize that there needs to be something new to draw people into Las Vegas. And they, they kind of hit on an idea that had started back in the 1960s with Circus Circus of trying to create these more family-friendly casino gaming halls, lands, whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. Um, these, these different groups of casino developers, Steve Wynn being probably the most legendary of all of them, started to think, well, we need something that can draw people to come gamble. It, it, it's important to understand that, you know, for up until probably uh, the mid 2000s, the primary revenue stream of Las Vegas was gambling. Overwhelmingly so. And in order to draw people to gamble, you have to have things that people want to look at. People are going to want to have a very nice hotel room at a low price. Food was very cheap in Las Vegas at the time, so you could get like a you know a prime rib dinner with all the fixings for like six ninety five and things like that. Those things began to disappear later on, but at this point in time, in the late mid nineteen eighties, it's all still there and it's all really still very popular. And that scene is being a primary draw. Again, Steve Wynn, when he constructed the Mirage, which is basically the birth of what we consider the modern hotel casino in las vegas changed that drastically um there had been attempts to build you know much more elaborate looking places whether it be sam's town which was a you know more locals place whether it was um circus circus which we already referenced which has the circus theme and had 
a midway of games, even had a fascination parlor inside of it. Yeah. Um, Whether it be the Tropicana, which had this tropical jungle sort of theme to it. You know, all those places were, were starting to do little things like that to make them more appealing, but none of them to the extent of what Mirage did. Uh, Mirage built a volcano, which would go off every 15 minutes. It had uh, the Siegfried and Roy show with its huge show showroom, and they had a whole area themed to the White Tigers utilized in the show. Um, that was where everything really changed with Las Vegas, was with Mirage. And from that point on, you see this explosive growth in the 1990s of these mega resorts, each one of them seemingly larger than the last, each one of them occupying a new space in the Guinness Book of World Records for largest hotel. And because Mirage was so heavily themed, because they built all of these things that went into it, such as, you know, the whole tiger area, um, the volcano with its with its light show and fountain show. Um, later on, they became the first place that had Cirque du Soleil was at the Mirage. Uh, first with the Nouvelle Experience in the parking lot, and then later, of course, they built um, Mystere was built for Treasure Island, uh, and that was the first residency, which is still there at Treasure Island or TI today. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of I just want to make sure I give people a good background because it's it's sometimes tough to see, especially now with so much of old Vegas being gone or completely rethemed, where you know the Barbary Coast is now. Uh, something else entirely and the new frontier is gone and the desert inn's gone and the old Aladdin's gone and the stardust is gone. Sahara is a question mark. It's kind of still there, I guess now it's it, it reopened, but it's, it's been de-themed also. Um, you know, the, the Riviera is gone. Uh, all these places, a lot of these places closed or were torn down some of them were, were never quite replaced. It's difficult to see that part of that old Vegas and to understand that, you know, before there was, uh, uh, basically a bunch of strip malls and super dry shops, shop fronts in front of Bally's and MGM grand, but it used to be something different than what it is now, uh, is the way I, I kind of want to make sure I, I approach that. I don't know if there's mm-hmm. anything you want to add to that, Joe. Uh, not too much. My history, like my, I, I don't I, – the first time I went to Vegas was 2001. So, like, I kind of missed that whole entire segment of Vegas when it was like that. Um, and, like and, – and even when I returned uh, without my parents and um, I was a lot – I could gamble or drink, you know. Then it was, like, 2010. And, you know, it's just uh, – it, it, yeah, it, it was very different by it, that point. It was very like, different, very different. And and Vegas, you know, like it, we look at it now, and it's very much the I, I would say the Miami kind of design, where everything is lots of glass, lots of pools with you know mm-hmm. bottle service, and very you know glamorous kind of stuff, as opposed to what was mo- a more uh, I don't want to say chintzy, but like a more. Um, uh, decorated, kind of. They wanted to outdo, you know, everyone else. I, I, I'm just trying to find the words to put it because it's so weird and different, and it just existed for a very short time. Um, and and there's still some parts of it that are like that, but it's kind of getting hard to find them. Um, yeah, it's, and, and it's been poorly documented too. 
very poorly documented. Um, you know, obviously we talk about the Mirage being the first, you know, real themed sort of thing. I mean, there were things that were themed beforehand. There was the boardwalk that Holiday Inn used to have, which had like a, a fake amusement park on the top of it. And, you know, we already mentioned um, Circus Circus on here. Sahara technically has a Middle Eastern theme. But none of them attempted to be, you know, quote unquote, immersive, which is you know, obviously kind of a, a more modern buzzword. Once you get to Excalibur, which is the next big thing that opens in 1989, then things start to change a little bit because the scope of Excalibur is such it's got 4,000 rooms in it. it. has all these huge pedestrian bridges. It's shaped like a castle um, in a very, you know, whereas like Sahara, it's like it looks like a hotel casino. Like there's no mistaking the fact that Excalibur is shaped like a castle. Like there is a huge castle in the middle of it. All the entrances, you know, coming in off of these. Uh, walkways that go over the strip and Tropicana Avenue and, and all that. Those things are all set up into like buttresses. Basically, it looked like they're part of the fortifications for this castle. And, you know, that's where you start to see, okay, how do we make this more and more like a theme park, ostensibly? How do we make this more friendly to families that are coming here for conventions um, you know, families where the mom and dad want to go to the spa and gamble and they take the kids with them and the kids didn't have anything to do before. Mm-hmm. Well, now they have an arcade and now they have simulator rides and now they have, uh, they used to have a, a nighttime show, which was, uh, over by the entrance way. They used to have, a, a dragon that would come out and have to be dealt with by an animatronic, uh, wizard figure, mm-hmm. you know, like Merlin. And you can find video of that nighttime show. It actually ran into the 2000s. I never, I don't recall ever seeing it myself, and I didn't realize it was still there. And I'm sure by the time it closed, which was somewhere around like 2004, 2005, it probably looked kind of mediocre. But at the same time, the fact that it even existed, that there was like a 71 foot tall animatronic dragon fighting Merlin in the moat. Um, is is kind of astonishing that that ever happened. And that was kind of, you know, and that actually came after it opened. That opened 1993 when they actually had that, that show. And I, that was probably a reaction to all the other things that had been added since then. Um, you know, so the, you have that. You have Treasure Island, which opens in 1993. Treasure Island has the famous you know, show outside with a sort of a pirate battle um, with these huge floating stages shaped like boats. They're not really floating, you know, they're, they're on a, on a track that wheel themselves out and you have a whole stunt show that takes place. I think it was hourly when they were last doing it right out in front of everybody. Um, the Luxor is built in 1993 and, you know, that has this Egyptian theme. And, and the Luxor is, is really one of the most interesting ones. We'll spend a little bit more time with it later because of how in-depth they looked to make the, the story and the narrative of their attractions built into the hotel casino itself. MGM Grand 
didn't necessarily go as strongly with that, given that it had a, a, a very, you know, over-the-top Wizard of Oz theme in the entryway and through much of the casino. But that's also because it had its own theme park, which was basically a studio park located in the back of it in MGM Grand Adventures. Mm-hmm. And so around 93, 94, this is basically when it hits the peak. And all of these things are either in the midst of being constructed, like New York, New York, and the Stratosphere, or they're just opening up, as was the case with Treasure Island, the uh, Luxor, and MGM Grand in 93. And this is all part of that huge growth that Las Vegas sees starting in the 1990s, which continued on until basically the Great Recession fully you know, hit everything in 2005, 2006. And and my first visit to this area was in 98. So I still had the opportunity uh, in going to Las Vegas to actually attend stuff like MGM Grand Adventures. Um, and obviously I've been to, you know, other attractions that, that made it through that period of time as well. But I do remember some of the defunct things that came about then, like, like I said, MGM Grand Adventures or the NASCAR Cafe and Speed the Ride located over at Sahara. Um seeing the simulator attractions that were put up at Caesar's palace at Luxor and at Excalibur. And this is such a poorly documented period in theme park or themed attraction history. Um, It's, it's kind of astonishing in retrospect that Las Vegas, which at that point was the busiest tourist destination in the world. There's just, poor or no footage of multiple attractions. Um, We should probably talk first. Let's talk about the Luxor because I think the Luxor is the most interesting to me from like a theme design perspective. Do you want to say anything about Luxor or any of these areas first? before I keep talking. Uh, I I think one of the, the craziest um, uh, aspects is so okay, so random thing really quick, but I'm on sure. tw- I'm on Twitter right now, um, just yeah. checking something, and all of a sudden uh, they decided my Twitter needs to be German now, so everything's nice. in German. <laughs> I'm nice. just like, it's like it's like start state and Indrakin. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just like, and it's profile is uh and mayor. Uh, yeah, so what's interesting is, like, I pulled up um, on Twitter, I, I was Googling around, and the Attraction Faction Twitter account actually tweeted out photos, and this is why I brought that up, is, um, still in German, by the way, thanks, guys, uh, is the, uh, is like, you could see where the old Merlin stuff was for Excalibur, you know, there's, like, the on the right-hand mm-hmm. side, as you're entering, there's this underwater track, and, and this, you know, sea monster would come out, slash dragon, and Merlin would come out of his hut thing, and yeah, it, it was it was really bizarre. But like, it felt like almost every single um, uh, attraction had every single uh, hotel had to have a free attraction of some sort for a while, mm-hmm. whether it be Excalibur's um, Merlin and Dragon show, or um, whether it be the the Mirage's uh, volcano or the Treasure Island, um, uh, the, the the pirate ship uh, going on mm-hmm. underwater, or you know it, it could even be the smaller things like when um, uh, what 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 was uh, what um, what did uh, play, uh, Planet Hollywood replace? 
What, what so Planet Hollywood was a retheme of Aladdin. Yes, Aladdin. Because like Aladdin had the indoor waterfall, like the indoor rainstorm stuff, like in there. Yeah. And and then also you also have like look at Caesar's Palace. Like they had two free shows in their um in their in their shopping and dining area. They mm-hmm. had they had the the uh, the Bacchus one, and then they had the which I, I is no longer functioning. And then they had the um the uh, the other one with uh with Poseidon. Like, I forget what it was. It was like Zeus and like his kids or something. I don't know. Yeah, and that and that interlinked into their IMAX 4D ride. Yeah, exactly. It was basically it was basically uh, Poseidon's Fury before Poseidon's Fury, <laughs> and it had audio animatronics and fire and water and explosions and. Yeah, it was totally weird and bizarre, and um, uh, yeah, it, it, and it felt like everything had to have one of those, um, and and also not just you know shows, but like MGM had uh, was completely themed to the Wizard of Oz. Um, yes, it, you know it had the yellow brick road. It had the the opening section was you know was the Emerald City with the wax figures in the middle and. It was just a totally bizarre thing, and like, and even even places like, um, uh, God, what what is it? I, I forget what it was, but you know, I think it was maybe the Tropicana. But like, you know, they had, you know, oh well, this place has all the flamingos. Let's let's go check out well, all fl- the flamingos. That was the flamingo. Oh, the flamingo! Yeah. Jesus, Christ. yeah, the flamingo had the flamingos. Yeah, <laughs> who'd have thought? But like, yeah, you no, know, they they all had free attractions. They all had something to go see, like. <laughs> And th- that was actually something that had been going on forever. Like, if you go back to the history of the Golden Nugget in Las Vegas, which is, you know, one of the old school hotel casinos located over in Fremont, mm-hmm. you know, why is it the Golden Nugget? Well, it's it's the Golden Nugget because there's a Golden Nugget. Like, it's named because they have a big rock of gold <laughs> sitting there that you can go see. Yeah. And, you know, and then yeah. and then as time went on, then they would go and get other stuff. Like, then, you know, then there'd be stuff like, um, uh, there's a, uh, I think there's a, a pool that they have at the hotel there at the golden nugget that has like a shark tank located next to it. Yeah. There's a slide that goes through the shark tank. Um, there's, there's always something that's been there. That's been kind of slightly wacky and weird about, about these casinos to make you want to go to them. And this wasn't, this isn't just like necessarily, we should just say this is a Las Vegas thing either. You know, we'll probably bring up Prim a little bit as well. Prim is uh, a set of resorts on the state line area with California and Nevada about an hour outside Vegas. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And they did the same thing. And, of course, they even built large amusement rides to go with it. And so all of these all of these entities in that, like, 89 to basically 98, 2000 time frame were really trying to outdo one another in terms of producing these family-friendly attractions – and then it all just came to a dead stop. Yeah. And, and you know, Luxor to me is kind of the most, in some ways, the most grandiose because even though it wasn't a full theme park like MGM Grand Adventures was, what they had constructed is this, this multi-tier set of attractions. So the Luxor itself is a pyramid. Um, it's a 30-story a pyramid with another hotel tower next to it. And... When it opened in 96, you know, it was one of, like, the shining symbols of Las Vegas. It had the brightest light of all time on top of it. Um, it just, it looks Seen crazy. from the airport. Yeah, it's a giant onyx pyramid. I mean, how do you miss something like that? <laughs> and 
And inside the pyramid, what they did is they had, first of all, they had a boat ride. And I believe the original intention of the boat ride was to take people who were staying there to elevator banks. And then, but it was also themed. So like you would be going through past these recreations of various, uh, various ruins and various parts of Egyptian history that they recreated as part of the Luxor. But what's interesting about it, and you can actually find video, some video, not a full POV, but a limited POV of that boat ride. It's not a scary boat ride. It's not intended to be thrilling. Um, however, if you if you watch it, you'll notice them like almost introducing this lore about uh, these characters, these these um, these people who are archaeologists working on the site that you're at and those connect into this three phase you know fully immersive experience that they constructed in the center of it which has been completely dismantled at this stage there was a simulator attraction there basically there are three parts to this the first part was a simulator attraction so you would go on the simulator ride and the simulator ride was basically tying in this sort of like trying to think of the way to, to picture this kind of like aliens, Egypt, you know, very, um, ancient aliens, <laughs> ancient aliens, futuristic, but also ancient type stuff. I'm not saying aliens, but aliens. <laughs> yeah, but it was definitely aliens. And, and so it kind of like pushes all that together into this, the simulator ride involving the archeological, the archeologist characters that basically reappear throughout the rest of the attraction. The second part of it was a live show, which was basically intended to be like a Morton Downey Senior knockoff talk show. Like this is these are these are things that are very difficult to understand in like 2020 views. But it was kind of like they had a, a fake version of Donahue or even like something slight lower rent than that, like the Richard Bay show, where these the characters that you encountered in the first portion of the attraction in the simulator are now in the present day on the TV show talking about their experiences and basically, you know, being derided and talked about as though they're crazy people only for like the crazy alien Egyptian stuff to break out into real life. It was basically T2 3D as the second phase of this attraction and then the third phase was another uh, simulation attraction, which kind of had, it almost looked like it was maybe less of a simulator, more of a, a large movie. It looks like they basically took a standard film, and you can see this on, on the video of the, the construction of Luxor from 93. It looks like they basically took film and they shot everything kind of like on a cell phone when you just hold it straight up in the air. They did that with a camera, and then the, the screen is vertical, in the theater. So it's a very different perspective than you would typically expect from a movie, but it's another kind of movieish attraction. The idea being that it's like past, present and future that they somehow go through as you're entering and going through this attraction. And obviously this, this predates the star Trek experience. It obviously predates star Wars galaxy edge as this multimedia, um, multimedia, attraction 
and very, very, very cutting edge for 1993, mm-hmm. and also a complete flop because basically to try and establish that much lore and that much history and to try and create those characters and have them be meaningful to people who are, you know, at a gambling casino is tough. It's very, very difficult when they're completely unknown. That's, that's why Disney and universal tend to use intellectual properties. (laughs) Yeah. Already know. Um, the basically everything, every aspect of that was gone by the late 1990s, with the exception of the simulator rides. Those actually hung on, even though they were no longer coupled to anything. They were no longer part of the lore of the building uh, until well into the 2000s, and then they would eventually be stripped out mm-hmm. during the the long and continuous uh, de-theming of the area. Um, there even was a, a uh, basically a replica of King Tut's tomb that was constructed there as well. That you could walk through that closed in 2008. And the recreated artifacts were donated to the Las Vegas Natural History Museum. Mm-hmm. So all that stuff was gone by, by 2008, basically. And the stuff that had existed um, was reused for other things like whether that be bodies the exhibition whether it be blue man group whether it be carrot top who was there for a while (laughs) avenue q (laughs) avenue q like that's what those things became Mm -hmm. and um it became the um it it, it, basically what it is now where it's like all these grandiose shows like you either have like the pen and teller (coughs) excuse me or and carrot top or you have um you know your cirque shows yeah there's basically yeah, there's Cirque and there's headliners. And there's really nothing in between. Yeah, that that it's kind uh, of all gone now. Which which I'll, I'll probably get into as well later as I start talking about why I think Vegas is terrible. Um, but you know, so that's that's Luxor. But that's Luxor is just one of so many MGM Grand Adventures. You know, we've we've talked about that on on this podcast before. And <clears throat> I have been there. I have very limited experience in being there. It was primarily, you know, what coaster enthusiasts call a credit run. I rode the lightning bolt roller coaster. This would have been in 2000. But there were a mm-hmm. lot of other attractions that existed there, which I really wish I had done. Mm-hmm. And which was I was that the trip? Was that the trip when you uh, did? The, you were on Speed the Rides unveiling. Yeah, I was. I was. It was for Speed the Rides opening weekend. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I was one gotcha. of like 20 people that were there with ACE. <laughs> and there's actually, if, if you have any interest in reading the trip report, it is on my old WordPress site. I, I basically took a 100 word trip report from 2000 that I posted on Usenet. And several years ago, I, I went back to it and I rewrote my recollections of what exactly happened. And, um, it was, a, it was a thing to be there it was mm-hmm. definitely a thing to be there <laughs> especially at that time and under the conditions like it was a very it was a very strange trip that's all i can tell you um but yeah mgm grand adventures i i did get to ride the lightning bolt roller coaster that ride actually there's two versions of it there's the original version when the park opened and then it was lengthened with additional track i want to say from Vacoma. um so it was it was indoor and then it was turned to outdoors and when it was made, moved outdoors, they added additional track which 
had a completely different obviously it had the same gauge but it was like a it actually had a spine to it whereas the other stuff was more or less like old school zamperla or schwarzkopf track it was pretty much just like flat uh not i'll say flat track but fairly flat you know looking uh tubular steel track but the other stuff that that park had uh backlot mm-hmm. river tour deep earth exploration and grand canyon rapids uh and haunted mine you know those are all really interesting rides historically but we have very little documentation of them Mm-hmm. I think um, I think the big one that stands out is um, is uh, what was it again? The deep, deeper, deeper yeah. exploration, yeah. deeper exploration, which was in effect a Spider-Man, Transformers sort of motion simulator movement attraction with projections and live sets. Before before Disney did it, before Universal did it, before all those times. And it's just it like to the point where it was so new, they actually the motion simulator, like it, it had um projectors for like for the windows and the projection system was run by on a laser disc that was basically towed behind the ride vehicle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was yes. just, it was wild. Like it just this is the technology at the time and like they just they were winging it and trying to figure it out and i feel like that's the holy that's one of those holy grails of themed entertainment where if there's video of it out there i i want to see it badly very very badly yeah i'm with you like there's a bunch of stuff dark ride wise this is this is before i got really into dark rides you know and <laughs> it's it's not, it seems like it was a very small window of time but of course it was a very important window of time that i wasn't into dark rides because i was able to go to places like this and I, I didn't properly, you know, I won't say properly visit it, but I didn't visit it in the way that I certainly would now is perhaps the way I would put it. You know, you got to remember at these parks, uh, particularly the MGM park, it's a studio park. MGM was a movie studio still at this time. Um, and kind of interestingly, it was strange that there was an MGM theme park on the West coast under the casino banner and then obviously one on the East coast under Disney's banner. Um, very, very strange. Uh, the rapids ride was considered by a lot of people to be one of the best rapids rides in the United States. Like I said, deeper the exploration is a very early multimedia dark ride. And again, shocking that you would have something that groundbreaking now that there would be, little or practically no uh footage of i mean it's basically just nothing there like the best coverage we have is literally i i think it's one shot of an internal scene one um shot of the ride vehicle in the track with with the the famous laser disc towing Mm -hmm. and then like i think i want to say it's a a company that did some of the scenic stuff they redid after it opened. And it was like maybe three or four before and after shots of the queue. And that's it. That's it. it. That's it. Of this groundbreaking attraction that now is, you know, effectively, you know, the basis for, 
uh, the, some of the greatest, um, you know, themed attractions out there at, at, at amusement parks. And it's just, it's crazy to me because like, <laughs> you know, imagine, you know, it, it'd be like, what happened, like, if we have, like, what happens if everyone referenced Citizen Kane, but we had no copies of Citizen Kane? Yeah, exactly. Or like, you know, like, imagine if somebody had constructed Spider-Man and the park failed after seven years and there was no footage of the ride's mm-hmm. existence. Like, what? nobody had any idea what happened or what it looked like or anything. Or people were like, oh, yeah, we I remember the Beatles, but, like, I only remember them from the German clubs. I, we don't have any recordings of them. You know, <laughs> that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, it's, it's very shocking. It's very shocking. And, of course, like, this is this is kind of parroted in what we see about the lack of footage that's available from a lot of 1970s and 1980s parks that failed. Um, but the fact that there's just nothing at all, like... You would think that there would be newsreel footage or something that would have come out. I hate to say newsreel as though newsreels are a thing, but you know, like <laughs> you would have seen like some sort of local television presentation about the construction and opening of this park, just like there were of, you know, Six Flags Auto World or the power plant in Maryland or uh, countless other parks. But no, there's really stunningly little to go off of. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, there, there's that, there's the haunted mine, you know, that's another dark ride. It's more of a traditionalist dark ride is the way it's, it's described, but, you know, try to find footage of it. It basically doesn't exist. What we do have footage of is the backlog tour boat ride, Mm -hmm. um, which is in a lot of ways kind of similar to Jaws. Um, or the Jungle Cruise, that same sort of live spieler, you know, fairly sedate boat ride past animatronic scenes. But, you know, they throw out stuff like the Creature from the Black Lagoon and uh, Indiana Jones are get referenced during the attraction. A, uh, a, uh, it, it, there's a, like a military scene that's kind of very much like Apocalypse Now in a way and Flight of the Valkyries plays and shit like that. <laughs> yeah, like it's... It's definitely different. It's the way I would put it. Like there's just, you know, we just don't have, we just don't have anything of kind of what would be to me, the most interesting aspects of the MGM park. And it's really a shame. It's a really, really terrible shame. A wizard of Oz experience. We also have footage of from the MGM grand itself um, with all the animatronics that were involved with that. But yeah, it's really too bad that we don't have more extensive stuff from MGM Grand Adventures. Um, but again, like that that wasn't even the last, you know, thing that was built there that was a themed attraction. Uh, the Las Vegas Hilton, the LVH, ended up having Star Trek The Experience, which is, again, uh, another kind of large multimedia, multimedia thematic experiences that opened in 1998 mm-hmm. and operated for about a decade. Uh, and they themed a huge amount of the Las Vegas Hilton ultimately to Star Trek. There's, Which is insane when you think about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was, there was a, a huge Borg uh, 4d attraction, which was added into the pavilion mm-hmm. uh, in 2004 and walking around the casino, you would see that large portions of it had been themed to the Borg as though you were on a Borg cube and playing slot machines. Some of that stuff is still there, oddly enough. Um, 
but yeah, there were you know motion simulator attractions and Pepper's Ghost effects, and you know again there was there was a whole huge uh, thing. It wasn't it wasn't just a ride. You you didn't just go on the Star Trek ride. It was intended to be this whole thing to experience Star Trek. And again, did not do it. I I had heard very positive recommendations about it from people. Uh, Sam Marks was one that I knew from the trip. I think Rick Turner had good things to say about it as well. Rick Turner is now, uh, I think he still is an Imagineer. I'm not 100% sure if he's still mm-hmm. with WDI after all the cuts. but um, We hope he, he is. We hope he is. Um, but there were a lot of things that were, you know, very you know, kind of innovative, again, somewhat similar to the Luxor, but obviously very different in terms of the flow of the attraction and what the overall theme was, that there was a Star Trek theme bar that existed. Um, Like all this stuff was there. And then that has obviously since gone away as well. In fact, Cedar Fair was managing it when they took over the Paramount parks. Uh, They managed it for about a year or so. Mm -hmm. Um, and keep in mind that the Star Trek The Experience, if I remember correctly, is actually a little bit of an offshoot from an idea of building a full-size USS Enterprise Hotel Casino. Yeah, that one was wild. Fremont Street, yeah. I want to say. Um, and you can go and Google about the USS Enterprise Hotel Casino online. It's, uh, it's a pretty phenomenal story that that came anywhere near coming to exist. Uh, but, you know, given the time frame and given what was getting approved, you know, every hotel at this point had a theme. Um, obviously, you know, we've talked about the MGM Grand. You know, the name doesn't necessarily jump out and say theme. But, you know, by the time you get to, you know, what it was actually constructed, the theme was the Wizard of Oz. Um, and subsequently, you have Paris, you have the Bellagio, you have the Venetian. You have New York, New York, which has its roller coaster, the Manhattan Express or the Big Apple, or I think it's just called Roller Coaster now. Um, and it's also not operating because they tried putting new trains on it that failed miserably. Um, oh, God, we forgot about that news. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Any other year, it would have been, hey, remember that time they uh, added the uh, they added the. Uh, what is it, Gerslau? Who who makes those? Who's making those trains? Uh, that was those are Premier trains. Yep, we had, we added Premier trains to uh to uh to to uh, New York New York coaster, and it derailed and destroyed the uh the uh <laughs> the the stair system. <laughs> yeah, it, it was ride. actually a tremendous, huge failure and disaster. It, yeah, um, it's yeah, it's one of the worst things I've seen an amusement park ever have. So there we go. So so after MGM Grand Adventures opens, the next big things that open up are State Line. So you have the Prim Nevada attractions, those being at Buffalo Bill Hotel Casino, the Prima Donna Hotel Casino, and Whiskey Pete's. Um, the ones that everybody knows about are usually the ones that are at uh, the Buffalo Bill's Hotel Casino. Those being Desperado, which was Arrow's... Uh, third of their fourth of their four hyper coasters they constructed. First being Magnum, mm-hmm. second being uh, Pepsi Max Big One at Blackpool Pleasure <laughs> Beach, 
And then the third being Desperado, which they they claimed some outrageous stuff. They actually claimed it was going 95 miles an hour, which was not actually possible. Um, it does have a 225-foot first drop. It was It is 5,800 feet long. It was a huge ride. But they also had a log flume with laser guns. So it was an interactive dark ride laser gun log flume, which opened in 1994, about five years before the first Sally dark ride opened with laser guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had an SNS turbo drop, which was one of their early uh, drop tower designs and simulator attractions. And that went along with the prima donna, which was part of the same group of hotels next door with, it had a, a chance Ferris wheel and a, uh, free carousel to ride. So free carousel and free Ferris wheel rides. There was a train, an elevated train that would go uh, like an old steam train looking thing that would run between the three casinos, which meant that it had to circumnavigate the freeway, I-10. Uh, there was also, on top of all of that, you have a um, you have a monorail system that existed and still exists between uh, Prima Donna and the uh, Buffalo Bills. Whiskey Pete's across the freeway didn't have any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does have what is purported to be the um, the death car <laughs> from Bonnie and Clyde, but never got a ride. And it's interesting because there was a ride slated for Whiskey Pete's. Mm-hmm. Some people are are aware of this, but Whiskey Pete was initially based on the success of Desperado was going to get an 8,000 foot long wood coaster on the side of a mountain designed by CCI. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, going and knowing what we know now, that would have been a terrible idea. Um, putting a wood coaster squarely in the middle of the desert seems like a, horrible concept which it was <laughs> uh it would have dried out and cracked immediately but it never really was a relevant factor because ultimately it never opened um they had the idea it seemed like a good one but fundamentally they did not see enough business that had come in as a result of desperado to justify doing that and it simply never occurred um in fact, realistically, if you if you look at that area today, it's all still there. Uh, Desperado, I don't think, is currently operating. It's been on and off in operation for quite a while. Uh, same with the log flume there, too, right? Same with the log flume, yeah. And the log flume had the guns pulled, uh, I want to say, somewhere around 2002, 2003. Um, so the animatronic figures are still there, and the lights are still on the targets, but they don't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bit of a bummer on that. Um, realistically, it's probably more that the off-road racetrack behind Buffalo Bills draws more people than the roller coaster had over the last <laughs> 20 or 30 years. Most likely, yeah. But again, you know, when you look at this thing coming off the freeway or just, you know, actually seeing it in person, to see this huge elevated train track that you know, circumnavigates and crosses over the freeway. And to see this giant roller coaster 
Um, or the turbo drop tower, which itself has not operated in close to 20 years. Um, you know, these are not normal or average things to see. They're very interesting looking things. If you're a theme park fan and they're certainly very interesting looking things to, to families or to just to anybody that drives by to be like, Oh my God, it's a gigantic roller coaster. <laughs> and, and it's also like in the middle of the desert, like you're driving, you know, three hours from, LA to Vegas and you know outside of like very few gas stations and restaurants for you know for how many people actually do that trip um then all of a sudden boom you you know you get ex- you get desperado it's it's crazy yeah i should say it's i15 not i i10 okay yeah it's and it's like i said you you really can't imagine like un- unless you've done that drive and you've gone through mountain pass and you're getting on the way to state line you see that whole complex coming from about 10 miles away like it is impossible to miss off on the horizon that there is a gigantic thing in the distance and that includes a roller coaster Mm -hmm. like there's just no no two ways around it that it's it's that stark and bare in a landscape leading up to it the wood coaster would not nearly have been as obvious being on the mountainside but you know, again, it would have been and may still be the world's longest roller coaster had it been constructed. So it, it's a little sad that it never happened, but it would have been one of those rides where if you didn't get on your one or two, it would have been complete garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, so that brings us back to Las Vegas. And over in Las Vegas, we have the construction, uh, first of all, of Manhattan Express, which is over at New York, New York, which opens in 97. Easily the largest targo or Togo coaster ever constructed in the Americas. Why they opted for Togo, I I really don't know. I don't think anybody will ever be able to answer that question. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting looking ride, and that's about the best you can say for it. I know that I know that you've been on it. Uh, I, I, yeah. Go the ahead. the um sir the New York New York coaster. Yeah. I have not been on it, no. Really? I refuse to go on it. I refuse to go on it. I don't want to pay... Well, you've been very lucky in life. Yeah, I... (laughs) Not actually experience it. I I think it's one of those things where I don't... Like, I'm not, like, credit whoring up, you know? And I just... I've heard enough. Like, I've seen the Rob Rob Alvey video, the infamous one. I've, you know... I've heard enough things. I've gone with Jeff, who basically would refuse to ride it, even if I wanted to ride it. Um, and also stuff like, you know, we just don't want to, you know, you don't want to spend the money on it, like however much money it is. Yeah. So it's like $17 a ride or whatever. Yeah. And, and at that I've, point, you're just making excuses. You're like, well, I'm, I'm not going to spend 17 bucks on it. I'll instead, I'll just, you know, <laughs> drop 17 or 20 bucks in like the video poker and get drinks for like an hour or two. You know, exactly. it's, it's that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, this the ride, in fairness, is it's a very interesting custom layout. Um, you know, it's it's over 200 feet tall. It's not often that you have a hyper coaster that's built around hotels and parking structures as that ride is. Um, really, the only the only similar ride I can think of off the top of my head would be uh, Thunder Dolphin in Japan. Um, you know, where this is, this is basically coming right, right next to the street, right next to people. It's in 
you know, full view of the entire strip. You can see the bulk of what the ride does. Mm-hmm. It kind of has this outer loop to it where the lift hill drops. There's like a 70 foot drop, then a much larger drop. And then it goes into the spaghetti bowl of, of various, uh, various elements. The most interesting, interesting of which is this dive loop. That's adapted from other Togo coasters in Japan, which purportedly do it much better. Mm-hmm. The ride has just never felt particularly good. I like the layout. I like the concept. But actually writing it has always been a different story. It's mm-hmm. never been nearly as as enjoyable as I would hope it to be. Uh, it does have airtime. It does have interesting forces. But unfortunately, the track that was done on that ride is poorly aligned. The transitions are, are awful. And... It, it it basically feels like you're running over a gravel road at 80 miles an hour and then flipping upside down. And that's not going to be conducive to much in terms of anything pleasurable. In order to reduce that kind of suffering, there's, there's a different way to go about creating thrills, which is just to put things on a very high platform. And that's basically what happened at Stratosphere. Uh, Stratosphere is one of, I think, the most interesting stories in Las Vegas. Um, I don't know if you know any of the background of the Stratosphere. Um, a little bit of it, but I, I, I mean, okay, go into it so I can, I think I may know some of it, but yeah, continue. <laughs> So the idea for for this property was basically created by the legendary Polish Bob Stupak, uh, a a poker player who won titles at the World Series of Poker. Um, He was considered one of the great all-time poker players and had moved to Las Vegas to become a professional gambler and then eventually established a gambling museum uh, and then later wound up uh, acquiring casinos for himself. Um, he had the idea at the very end of the Las Vegas Strip of building what at the time would have been the world's tallest building. Uh, it never ended up being as tall as that. But once he survived a motorcycle crash, <laughs> he decided to make it slightly less tall, though it is the largest structure west of the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And it was the 1,100-foot-tall Stratosphere Tower and Hotel Casino. Uh, the casino, obviously, is around the base of the tower. The tower itself is impossible to miss. It's, it's practically a symbol of Las Vegas now. Though it's kind of interesting that the Stratosphere, since day one, has never been the draw that it was intended to be. Um, it was built in pretty much the worst portion of Las Vegas. Yeah. Um, it's so far away from the rest of the strip that pretty much ever since it was constructed, the joke was that you could knock over the strat and instead of imploding it and it wouldn't fall on anything worth value. Um, even today at this point, it seems fairly obvious that the strip is never going to catch up to the, to the stratosphere and it's just, it'll always be surrounded kind of by garbage. And it'll always be a very cheap uh, hotel casino. <clears throat> but it does have rides. And they built a roller coaster on top of it, which is the high roller. 
And then they also constructed an SNS tower, which is the much more well-known attraction, uh, which is the Big Shot, which is a SNS uh, space shot tower, the opposite of the turbo drop that was located over or is still physically located on Buffalo Bills area. The turbo drop basically is a compressed air drop tower where the compressed air shoots you to the ground faster than the force of gravity, whereas the big shot uses the compressed air to launch you upwards. And uh, that was the, the highest thrill ride in the world for a very, very long time. Uh, it's still the tallest one in the United States. It's just a, a stunningly high place to put any attraction. And to put an SNS sky shot on there, or um, uh, space shot, I should say, is a gutsy move, to say the least. Have you been on the space shot? I know that you don't like heights. I'm guessing I've, I have not been. I've not been to that to the stratosphere at all because I will not go up there. <laughs> I do. I don't do heights at all. I am paralyzed by heights. <laughs> I still recall that, like in the first thirty minutes of you and I hanging out, I somehow got you on. Windseeker. Yes, yes. I'm I not sure how that happened. You, 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 really you, you were basically like, I want you to go on Windseeker and I'll buy you a drink. And I'm like, okay, okay. And there I just go. kind of zoned out and I was back on the ground and I'm like, okay. <laughs> I will never do that again. I'll never do that I've, again. I, I did it. I can say I did it. Alan's not going to bother me ever again. Nope, not at all. Um, <clears throat> so they did build a couple of additional rides, which have been added to that as well. Um, and you know, that includes a, a spinning ride that rotates off the edge of it. And the seats basically are spread out so that you're facing, you know, straight down about 900 some odd feet to the ground. Uh, there's also a ride, which is somewhat similar to a roller coaster. It's basically like a teeter totter with cars on it, uh, that, that, you know, it goes and tips over the edge of the stratosphere and the car slides towards the end where it's stopped by brakes and then basically does that like three, four times. Um, it's interesting is the way I would put it. It's definitely interesting. And, and they were the highest rides in the world up until, uh, I believe there was an Intamin drop tower that was placed on top of the Canton tower in Guangzhou, China, um, which is the only thing that's taller than that. And, to this day, obviously, the much more well-known one is going to be the Big Shot in Las Vegas. It's it's kind of the seminal amusement experience of Las Vegas in the modern era and and of of you know the Nevada gambling universe. Um, roughly, you know, a couple of years after that got done and, and opened up is when Speed the Ride opened at Sahara at the NASCAR Cafe Complex. NASCAR was kind of peaking in popularity. They constructed a themed restaurant. There were racing simulators that you could go utilize as well. And then, of course, the coaster, which was a custom-built, premier-launched roller coaster. It was a shuttle. Um, basically, you would fire out of the side of the hotel, facing the strip, take a hard 90-degree bank turn underground... So there was a, basically a small tunnel that was built right next to, right on the strip, right, you know, right in the middle of the sidewalk. So you dive under that, go through a vertical loop, 
And then you would hit a second launch. The second launch would send you through an S-curve that went through the Sahara's gigantic sign, up a 200-foot spike, and then you did the whole thing in reverse. And um, uh, as we indicated, I was there for opening weekend. I still have my my press kit from it. Um, yeah, I you know it was it was actually a very good ride. I thought it would have definitely benefited from being lap bars only, but you know this being two thousand and being the time that was to me it was the best of the premier launch coasters at that time. Uh, them switching to lap bars obviously changed things up. There was actually a second train which was purchased for that coaster. Not a lot of people know about this. The second train was located in uh, a series of crates, and they had been left across the street in the gigantic desert parking lot area, which would later be used for Rock and Rio Las Vegas around 2007. I assumed those trains were used for parts because they never changed to lap bars when everybody else had the premiere. And ultimately, the ride itself was closed down and shuttered, uh, I want to say, around 2009. I last rode in 2008. Um, it was actually a, a fairly competent roller coaster. Oh, it was closed in 2011. I take that back. Uh, or at least it was saying but not operating uh, from 2011 to 2012. So it had about an 11-year run. It currently had been sort of existing. Um, it was placed in storage. And is still sitting out in the desert right now, just south of <laughs> where Mandalay Bay is at for a project that will never happen. <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, it, it probably at this point is a complete disaster and needs to be scrapped. But you know, it's it's unfortunate what happened there. I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe uh, Indiana Beach will want to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no, why not? I mean, it's, it's 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 the for, it's the it's the forever joke. Sorry, <laughs> minimal minimal footprint. You, know, you just need to make sure you have enough uh, electricity to get those magnets moving. Just you know, they'll they'll, they'll do the um the holiday uh, world thing of just building a generator for it. <laughs> uh, do you have any memories of Speed the Ride? I don't have any memories of Speed the Ride. I I I just don't. That again, that was like when I went to Vegas, like, and I actually got to do it myself. It was like 2010, and I think it was gone already, right? It was. It would have been close to being gone. Yeah, and so. like, but like when I the one time I went, um, was when you know I had I went with my parents and it mm-hmm. was like a very short trip, and um you you know it's a very short trip, and I was like okay they're not going to pay for anything extra, <laughs> you know? Right. So I, I was kind of just stuck, and I was like thirteen at the time, so I really didn't have an option of doing these attractions. I was at the whim of my parents is the best way to put it. So one so. thing we did skip over and I, I should come back to it now is in 93 is when Adventure Dome opened at Circus Circus, which is still the Las Vegas theme park experience that basically exists. Um, you know, it opened up with Canyon Blaster, which was using aerodynamics uh, prototype cars, which were also in use on Drakenfire at Busch Gardens Williamsburg. Um and it had it had a few other flat rides and a few other smaller attractions. There were some motion simulators. You know, keep in mind in 1994 that the idea of motion simulation attractions replacing 
ostensibly permanent big physical rides was a very real thought. I guess it's kind of happening now, but it was it was much more thought of as being likely in the in the 1990s and was often used as justification for building smaller parks. I mean, when we talk about the Adventure Dome, the Adventure Dome is only five acres. It's not a gigantic space. It's much smaller than, say, Mall of America. Um, and I should also note, it opened as Grand Slam Canyon. We know it as Adventure Dome now, and it's had that name for a while. Um, but the... You know, the rides in it have not seen a tremendous amount of overhaul and swapping out. They still have a chance chaos, which is shocking because most of those rides were pulled out Mm -hmm. in the like late 2000s when it was discovered that they had a tendency to roll away on their own. Um, They did build an SNSL Loco Coaster, which there was a somewhat tragic accident on a couple years ago where someone without legs wound up on the floor uh, having basically splattered out of the car. Uh, They did live, though I believe they have had substantial changes to their capability to act and do things. Yeah. Um, It's not a giant park. It's not a miserably bad park either. It does have some, you know, does have quite a lot of rock work, if that's the sort of thing you're into. A lot of a lot of climbing up and over things and some opportunity that exists here and there to explore uh, some of its kind of cave-like aspects. But <clears throat> overall, I wouldn't say that it's it's any kind of, that it's like the best thing that, that existed. It basically survived because of its location. You know, unlike MGM Grand Adventures, which was in the prime heart of the Strip and has since become kind of the MGM condo tower development there for additional towers. Um, Adventure Dome is at the far northern end of the strip. The only thing that's past Adventure Dome of any relevance is the stratosphere, which we just discussed is, you know, kind of in a war zone comparatively to much of the south end of the strip. And the reality is there's nothing that you can build on top of what the adventure dome was. That's going to have more value. I remember going to Las Vegas about three years ago around new year's and circus circus was slammed. Adventure dome was slammed. There were tons of people in there. There were long waits because there really is no alternative to adventure dome. If you have a family at this point, everything else is gone. So <clears throat> Adventure Dome basically became the de facto take your kids here, even if it's not really that nice of a hotel casino situation. Um, you know, it, it, it was one of those facilities that used to be owned by MGM and then ultimately was sold off last year, as a matter of fact, uh, to a gentleman by the name of Phil Ruffin, uh, who's long been involved in Las Vegas. So. You know, that that is still there and that that kind of like the stratosphere, those two things have hung on uh, when a lot of other things further down the strip have ceased to operate because they simply didn't provide enough profitability for what Las Vegas has become. Um, so I guess this is the part where we briefly talk about what happened to Las Vegas, huh? Just I mean, just a little bit. <laughs> 
do you do you want to close out close us out talking about you know i mean we we talk about what happened and where we are now but like kind of like what's the what are what what's the place kind of facing now you know like it's there's a lot of issues there's you know it feels like the the place has kind of jumped the shark i feel like the last um great you know themed edition there was the bellagio at the bellagio fountains um and you know ever since then it's been kind of you know going downhill going towards a very unified design um you had the the fit, I, I forget what hotel it was but the one that they literally can't use um um oh uh, and city center yeah the um, city center the peabody yeah the peabody at the city center like all these it just kind of felt like it, it felt like a big grift that everyone's like that's kind of falling apart now <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'm probably wrong. I'll have to figure out which one of those it is at the city center um, that that wasn't – they'd started constructing it and then they used like low-grade steel and mm-hmm. there's, there's – that, that's not even like the least of the issues. Like there are um, – there's serious issues in terms of other stuff that had started. You know, the replacement for Stardust never actually came up and I think now it's yeah. being used for Resorts World. Mm-hmm. Which will open somewhat soonish. Uh, the Fountain Blue, which was constructed, uh, I think that's the on, one. Yeah, the Fountain. Yeah, that's you know it's ninety five percent done. It's been ninety five percent done for about a decade, and uh, it just never really had any kind of. There's never been a need for it. There's never been a desire for it. So it just didn't quite happen. Um. Oh, it was the Harmon. That was what had happened. The Harmon had actually was actually demolished already, in fact, because it was such a complete failure. The Harmon was part of the city center development. Uh, and it was originally set to be 49 stories, but was cut to 25. And then they demolished it. Uh, it was constructed and promptly demolished. So it never even opened for business. Quality sign of good workmanship being done by the folks involved primarily with MGM. Um, and actually it was MGM and Dubai world were the, the two primary partners in constructing that. And now like neither one of them is around with it anymore. Um, so anyways, here's, here's kind of my take on what happened with Vegas. I, I would say like you did Bellagio for me, if you were to ask me like where that era of Las Vegas peaked, it probably would be Bellagio. Which is, of course, naturally when I first showed up. And I feel like that's kind of a cheap answer as a result. Like, it, it just so happens to coincide with my most formative memories of Las Vegas. And so I know that that's wrong, but I also think about it more. And I'm like, I can't find any better time frame. Like, the Venetian and the Paris, I think, came after it. But neither of them really changed the paradigm much. What did was the creation of the win. Mm-hmm. And uh, I tried to keep, I tried to think about when it was that I thought Las Vegas was dead to me. Probably the earliest memory that I have of Las Vegas having just like fallen apart in my mind was going there with Sean Flaherty in 2007. I want to say it was, and we went to Sahara and we went up and we wanted to buy tickets to go watch the Amazing Jonathan. Rest in peace, Amazing Jonathan. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, they were like, Amazing Jonathan is no longer here. And we were like, what do you mean? He was here last week. They're like, he's gone. 
and they never explained why and apparently was some sort of some sort of beef that he had actually he's still alive never mind i thought he died i, I recalled him I uh, recalled someone him else i think must have then god i forget yeah, it said like he had a year to live in 2004, and then he's he's still alive. So so much for that. Um, never mind. I take that back. Amazing Jonathan, you you stole, uh, you basically stole people's uh, uh, what do they call that when you you steal um, steal valor? You stole death valor. That's just inappropriate. Um, no, the, the reality was by about 2007 when the Great Recession kicked in. What changed with Vegas is that Vegas basically became completely owned by one of two entities. One of them was Harris set slash Caesars and the other was MGM slash Mirage. They all basically had consumed each other and there was nobody left on the strip. And so you look at the strip and it consists of, as I think we mentioned earlier, nothing but headliner shows and Cirque du Soleil. And there used to be all sorts of other stuff. I mean, there used to be, um, if you shows like Jubilee at, at Bally's that my wife and I went to, which was a topless show. And a lot of people be like, well, why would you go to a topless show? Well, it was the most gigantic, ostentatious topless show of all time. Yes. It was a topless, <laughs> there was a topless sinking of the Titanic. <laughs> um, there was a topless um, Samson Delilah where like Samson like brings down an entire temple with his incredible strength. Um, these enormous set pieces that all moved around were very, very impressive and, and all the rest of it, but also topless. Um, the toplessness kind of faded after five minutes and incredible <laughs> costumes too. I should note a lot of those, there were a lot of shows like that from that era, like Burj Fallis and, and the aforementioned Jubilee, all that stuff's gone. Um, I don't even know if any of the, I don't want to call them, knockoffs of Cirque, but like some of the stuff that kind of was an offshoot of Cirque. Um, like there was Absinthe, which mm-hmm. was in Las Vegas for a long time. Is that still there? Because that was like in the parking lot. I mean, that that moved all over the place because that went from off. Now, I guess it's it might be at Caesar's Palace now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, stuff like that came into existence uh, for short periods of time. Um, or, or may still occasionally be there, but a lot of stuff, a lot of the, the more unique stuff. Danny Gans was a, a classic Las Vegas performer whose whole gimmick was basically that he could imitate the voices of singers and various performers and, and things like that have kind of faded off mm-hmm. with the 07 08 recession. And the fact that everyone had basically been under one of two banners the idea was to reduce the theming and to make places more contemporary, which had the effect of also making them very non-unique. So by tearing out the theming related to Egypt and places like the Luxor, tearing out the medieval theming in the Excalibur, you know, removing Merlin the Wizard from the window overlooking the strip and replacing him with a banner <laughs> for um, Dick's Last Resort... Yeah, inside, inside <laughs> yeah, exactly. Excalibur. Like, these moves were intended to. It's not really. It's not really obvious that anything was intended to do with these items, except to make those places cheaper to operate. 
I mean, basically, full tilt accountants took over Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And they came to the conclusion that Las Vegas could no longer survive off of gambling revenue. It had to operate off of other revenue streams. So events, bars, nightclubs, uh, you know, bottle service at the pool, all that. Mm-hmm. While they alternately made the gambling less attractive. Yeah. You know, they made worse odds for the gambling. Odds that are actually not copied anywhere else except Las Vegas. It's the only place where you go and you win six to five on blackjack instead of three to two. <laughs> yeah. And and so they did these things that made it incredibly unpopular and undesirable for the people who had been going to Las Vegas, their core customer in the 70s, 80s, and even 90s as they were booming. And then they all basically tried to say, well, let's all be like the wind, which is more of this very classy gambling hall establishment um, and and push, you know, very expensive food, very expensive alcohol, uh, very upscale nightclubs and things like that. And the fact is, there's just not enough of a draw to Las Vegas for all of those things simultaneously. And and so it's been on this downward spiral for years Really coming to a head in 2019-2020 as MGM and Caesars both started to run to serious financial issues. And obviously what's happened with COVID is not helping them anymore. Um, But all those things kind of came together and they started to to sell casinos off again. Mm -hmm. And bring in the hope that you'll have independent operators who might try to create more interesting spots. But what exists in Las Vegas now is not really... It's more of like a themed interact or a themed attraction, like uh, like pathology, you know, or archaeology than it is a, a, in an active sense. However, things are changing, and we do see that this year it is expected that we will see the emergence of a meow wolf location mm-hmm. in and, Las Vegas, and they and they also have that new. Um... Yeah, yeah, they have that new uh, uh, walkthrough experience there. I forget what it's called, but they have the um, that that's out there too, which is where the meow wolf thing is going to be, the superstore or whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there is some desire now to go back to Las Vegas, and it kind of makes sense because Las Vegas does have a lot of these very large spaces, um, both on and off the strip that are basically empty because they were stripped of everything or turned into incredibly generic, mediocre spots that now you can do so many different things with. And I would like to see Las Vegas go back to where it was before, where, you know, for me as somebody who would like to go and enjoy themselves there, um, you know, I'd like to have things that are different to do other than like, there is the Marvel Avengers station, and there, there still are the Venetian gondola rides. There's a Madame Tussauds. And so there are some things mm-hmm. that are there. Still the high roller Ferris wheel where you can get yourself tanked, like <laughs> really tanked, by, <laughs> by having the all-you-can-drink uh, car for, for 30 minutes. But, <laughs> but, you know, ignoring those things, like there are so many other hotels, so many other casinos – you know, we, we'd even mention the Rio and the fact that they used to have a show. Oh, God, uh, we totally forgot about the Rio. Yeah. Ceiling. I mean, there's there are so many things that we're going to be leaving out just because. They're not documented or there's so much documented, of them. not well known. I mean, you know, 
there's a lot of these, a lot of the mega ones I, I never even went to that were off strip, like Samstown, which has a, a huge indoor mountain and garden setup with animatronic animals and dinosaurs and stuff. There's the Orleans, there's there's the old hard rock, which is now I think basically abandoned. Um, the Tuscany, there's, you know, the Hooters hotel and casino, which has changed names about like seven or eight different times in the last 10 years. It used to be, uh, the hotel San Remo. I think it was, there's all these places that exist, all these things that are really potentially interesting. And, and, you know, the palms is another one that was really cool. The gold coast, another huge casino hotel, like all these famous things that, you know, Something could be done with them to make them much more interesting again. I'd like to see Vegas become interesting. I feel like Vegas hasn't been interesting outside of the party, like you said, that, that Miami party vibe for a while. And that's just not sustainable because those people grow up and they go do other things with their lives. And they need to appeal to a wider audience. And, and I really would love to see them do that. I, I want to see... Las Vegas be weird and do crazy things again because mm-hmm. what they did in in the 1990s is really it, it's something that we haven't we never saw again until the explosion of themed attractions in Dubai in oh that's late, a, that's that's a good comparison yeah in the late 2000s early mm-hmm. 2010s and I will say this at least we've gotten a lot more documentation of what we have in Dubai that exists yeah than we have of what existed in Las Vegas. Not by much, but by a decent amount. Um, we at least have POVs of most, almost everything that opened there. I can't say that about Las Vegas. Um, I would like to see Las Vegas go back to being better for gamblers. I want to be better, period. Like, I want to love Las Vegas. I don't. I feel like Las Vegas doesn't love me. I want to be weird. I want to have crazy you know absurd attractions like you know random car museums like the imperial palace used to have or like it still exists at like don laughlin's it, it feels kind of uh, like vegas has been side. has been superseded by gatlingburg in a kind of a way and yeah exactly or, or yeah like attraction like places like that that are you know gatlingburg's a, a great example of somewhere that's just filled with constantly new weird things mm-hmm. um and you know, it, it attracts heavily on the East Coast. There's, you'd think that there'd be something on the West Coast that would do something similar, but it's not there yet. And and I don't know. Part of that's because it's expensive on the West Coast. I get that, but you know, Vegas is not that expensive. There's lots of no. space there. There's lots of stuff you can do. And I would love to see Vegas go back to what it used to be. Um, and I know I'm not alone on that. And I know part of that is is you know rose colored glasses. And, and none of that's necessarily going to fix some of the inherent issues with Las Vegas as a city. But for me as a tourist, I have no interest in what it is now. Bring it back to like 98 and we can talk. Like, <laughs> you know, like who doesn't want to see really cool new stuff? I want to yeah. see really cool new stuff. You do too. Like, I, 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 I think one of the problems with Vegas has, I mean, besides, you know, the whole entire financial collapse of, you know, around 2000 and, Five two thousand six, all that stuff. Um, no, not two thousand five, two thousand six. I'm sorry. The um, two thousand eight, two thousand nine timeframe. Yeah. Um, like I just feel like the whole, all, like all the wind uh, uh, out of the sails was just gone, and it's been kind of directionless. And it feels like they're trying to go after 
the same party atmosphere that, you know, the Jersey Shore is known for and not yes, anything yes. else. I mean, like how many times are it, – it, 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 it also, in a way, I think they got too high on their own supply of um, getting the convention crowd. I think they yeah. really banked on that convention, you know, CES and all that stuff for so such a long time that I that they just you know now they're it's no longer there because of covid or you know all these convent like all these conventions are going digital or whatever you know like now they're kind of screwed again and it's and I feel like they just kind of were they they just kind of dropped the ball and they wanted to go like okay well what's the what's the best way we can um lock in people for you know visits it's like okay well Tara, you know, we're not making, you know, like we're not making money hand over fist overnight on this. So let's just tear it out, build a, uh, a, a timeshare, um, you know, a timeshare tower, which locks in, you know, all these people buying stuff and then we're done, you know? Yeah. Like I just want to make it clear to people too. Like <laughs> when we're talking about Las Vegas, I want them to understand like, it's not that we're like ignorant and don't understand that things have changed in the casino world. Like I mentioned Foxwoods earlier, and mm-hmm. obviously there's a lot of Native American casinos in the United States of America. And a lot of places legalize gambling outside of Atlantic City as well. Biloxi, where I was actually just at about uh, three weeks ago. Um, Biloxi legalized gaming at, at the end of the 1980s, and in the 1990s a lot of hotel casinos were built. Uh, they had to be rebuilt after Katrina, but there's a bunch of them there, like the Beau Rivage and the Golden Nugget and uh, their own <laughs> Treasure Island and, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Um, downtown Detroit has gambling. Uh, Cleveland has gambling. Yep. Um, you know, lots and lots of places have, have instituted gambling. And then and, and, and also um, online oh. sports gaming is now coming online. Yeah. I just signed up with M- yeah. MGM. Uh, earlier in the week, you know, waiting for them to go online here in the state of Michigan for sports betting. So I get, I, I, I implicitly understand how gaming in the United States has changed. I understand that gaming internationally changed with the expansion in Macau. I get all of those things. Like I'm not, I'm not dumb, but the thing is the way you draw people to come game in Las Vegas is not to give them shitty odds and charge them $80 for a steak. Like, if you go back to the old days, to that old era of the 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s, even 90s, these things used to lose money, but that was okay. Mm -hmm. It was fine to lose money on the front end to draw people into the casino so that they could play. You know, one of the issues that did exist with some of these places, (coughs) and still exists, you know, if you go to Circus Circus, and you come in off the strip, and you want to go to the adventure dome, you have to walk all the way through circus circus, mm-hmm. which is intentional. MGM grand adventures took about 15 minutes of walking. Once you came in off the strip through the front entrance to get to the entrance of the gate for the theme park. Cause it's just such a huge casino floor. You had to walk through the food court. You had to walk out the back past the pool all the way to the gate. Um, but but those things were positioned that way to get people to gamble, to get people to spend money. And, you know, the idea of a loss leader in Las Vegas doesn't exist anymore. There is no such thing. Even at, even at the hotel room level, like, they started charging for parking. They started introducing these extremely high 
uh, resort rates, even at places like the Luxor, which have barely been updated since they opened in 1996 or 1994 or 1993. These places are beat. There's even talk of closing down and tearing down the Excalibur and the Luxor. It's the Mm -hmm. complete opposite end of the direction that Las Vegas needs to go in. But that's where Vegas is at because it's just kind of locked into this, to me, self-destructive mindset that goes against everything that Las Vegas was was built on. And, you know, like I said, I, I don't see any way that you draw people to gamble in Las Vegas unless you give them a reason to go. And I don't see any reason to go right now. The only reason that existed for the last 20 years were conventions and pool parties. Mm-hmm. And yeah. one of those is gone. Yeah. And it, it may be it may be years before it comes back, regardless of what happens with COVID. A lot of people are just not going to like business has changed. And for them to continue to be relying on that is just is tone deaf. And um it's going to get to a point where where somebody's going to start doing something interesting in Vegas and succeed, and I think it'll start to turn around at that point. But it, it, we're in that cycle, very similar to what we saw in the seventies and eighties of this decline that's been going on for a long time. Because ultimately, um, people have have lost they've lost kind of the 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 plot. They've lost mm-hmm. what what it is that makes it special and people want they want they want when they go to vegas they want fantasy they want excitement they want to be entertained and you know nothing but circ shows and uh you know bad gambling is that's not going to be the thing that fixes it yeah you know? and, and god there's so many and like and it's clear that they've hit <laughs> they've hit critical circ yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, they have, they have like, like nine shows now like yeah, and 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 else. new shows are failing. Yes, like like yes. like I forget what what it was. Like it was like Run or something. It was like their action thing. Oh, yeah, that was that, like Born was, or whatever. That was abysmal. Like, yeah, like, honestly, like the thing is the the, the Chris issue, like, um, when when the Chris they Angel show blew up. exposed. Yeah, you know, like everything was good. You know, like nobody ever sat there and said, "Oh, that was the shitty Cirque du Soleil show," and like they've had in the last. 10 years or so like that whole Cirque du Soleil can do no wrong is not true anymore. Like it is way untrue. And well, Cirque's uh, over Cirque's overextended. They get, they became, they were bought out by, um, um, I forget who it was. Um, I forget who they were bought out by, but it was basically like a, um, uh, like you know, like you know, just like a company that just buys and invests and you know stuff like that, investment capital firm, basically. Yeah, they were the, they, they they were purchased in 2015. Yeah, they uh, got primarily to TPG Capital. Yeah, so and they got you know a huge investment of cash. So what they did was they opened a bunch of new shows. They bought they fucking bought Blue Man Group for crying out loud. You know their their biggest com- like like even their biggest competition, which like even then they still have like what six shows around the world. It's not like that many. Yeah. But like you know, they bought their biggest competition, and now they're basically the only ones in the game. And yeah, it, it's just really fascinating just to see like, hey, where where's this going? You know, it's no longer what's the new big Cirque show. You know, like oh my god, O's has water and Ka has like all this crazy height stuff. It's like 
well, okay, well, this one, this guy runs in front of a screen, I guess. And this one has Chris Angel in it, I guess, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, again, like, all of a sudden, these things started to be not good. Like, one after another, like, Chris Angel Believe. Terrible. Uh, They opened up Banana Spiel in Chicago, which was a disaster. Then they did Viva Vegas. You know, all the stuff in Vegas became based on existing properties, like Elvis or Michael Jackson or the Beatles. And the run, of course, was basically the end of that, which didn't even make it a year. I mean, talk about disaster. Um, they, they just, it's not, it's not what it used to be. Again, when, when O opened, it was mind blowing and it was the first of its kind. Yeah. And now, now you can see redneck O at the, um, uh, Hatfields and McCoy show in Pigeon Forge. <laughs> where their stage also <laughs> now opens up to a giant pool and they start doing water stunts. So, I, I, again, like it's kind of a, it's an interesting way to put it then when you when you mentioned Pigeon Forge earlier. And yeah, you're right. Pigeon Forge literally has become Vegas minus the gambling. It is uh, it is Flanders imagined version of Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is exactly. You got, yeah. Instead, instead of Caratop, you got Yakov Smirnoff. Uh <laughs> Well, he's no. more of a Branson entity than he is a Pigeon Four. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, good. Point. I was thinking Branson. I was yeah, thinking Branson. That, that too. was that was the literal joke from The Simpsons. Yeah, Branson. That, yeah, that's where I was Branson's going. Kind off of falling on harder times. Yeah, true. <laughs> but but like you know, it's it's just you know the Dolly Parton shows in you know in in, in Pigeon Forge and Gatlingburg. You got all that stuff. It's just I, I and also and, and you and you brought this up before, and I want to touch on is like all the unique things about Vegas are going away, like. Oh boy, like like legitimately when you really think about it, and this is gonna sound terrible, but like what what's like what is the legitimate like thing in Vegas that you can't do anywhere else now? Is it is it like prostitution? Like, is that it? Is that the final frontier? Because like, you know, weed's legal a lot of places. Um yeah. you can you know, gambling's become legal. Um, you know, Cleveland, as you said, Cleveland has all these, you know, casinos now. You know, sports books are becoming legal all around. You have online gambling, um, and then so it's like you don't have that angle. You don't have the angle of, oh, I'm here because you know it's you know the Cisco routing, you know the, the Cisco routers annual Salesforce meeting yeah. <laughs> with with you know the five thousand salesmen from across the country in Vegas for a week. You know, you know that's going other places. That's going to Orlando or. You know, or the Anaheim Convention Center, or 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 any of these other places. Um, you know, it's it's just, I it, it, it's just kind of weird and bizarre, and like, and, and and you even can see like now, like look at the rates in Vegas are just astronomically low. They're just insanely low. I I will. This is actually something I wrote for my my trip report of my trip my last visit to Vegas a few years back. But the way that everything has changed, with the number of retail outlets heading into the Strip, with the way that corporate America has fully and totally embraced a new PG-13-ish variation of the Strip, we are forced to accept that, indeed, the evils of the past are no different than the stability of the present. The M&M's experience and Marshall's logos standing next to Mexicans in bootleg Elmo costumes and illegal immigrants passing out flyers for prostitutes is repulsive to us because they are equivalent. Of course, Marshall's is built on the back of human exploitation. 
as is Nike or TGI Friday and everything else in our world. We know this subconsciously, but lie and tell ourselves otherwise or convince ourselves that it doesn't matter. Here and now, Las Vegas tells you otherwise. That, to me, is the strongest repudiation of what Vegas has become. Mm -hmm. In that corporatization, in that melding of the fantastic into just being another shopping mall or upscale urban development. Do we use. do we need the third do we need a third Apple store in Vegas just because you have the international tourists coming and they want to buy MacBook Airs? Like that kind all, of thing. All those things exist within this the framework of what Vegas of nineteen ninety eight was bad about, which are, you know, junkies, you know, nodding out on the sidewalk, people handing out these flyers for prostitutes. Um, the cards. <laughs> yeah, just the little cards, the flyers, you know, that the clicking of the cards as you walk past. Like those things you would were like Vegas sounds or, or Vegas realities. There were the reasons why Vegas residents never went to the strip because um, they found it, you know, ridiculous and bad. Mm -hmm. Like all, all those things. But those things existed in the sort of fantastical everything goes world of Las Vegas of the old era and now that Las Vegas is just this incredibly generic corporatized homogenized safe but not interesting product that stuff is still around and it all just kind of melds together into this like most ugly representation of what the American experience has become and I think that that is that's not to say that like people handing out cars for prostitutes is ever this sort of wonderful thing. But in the, in the old context, it at least could be kind of like laughed off or you could just be like, well, that's Vegas for you. And now it's all just, it's all come together where you have no choice, but to accept the fact that the people who run the M and M experience must be aware and are okay with the, the prostitute card <laughs> people outside. And that's a very weird thing to, to have to, accept and and understand and i i agree there really isn't anything about las vegas that makes it different than anywhere else and i think that's the problem um i can tell you that orlando is actively different than anywhere else in the country from a tourist perspective and that i think is probably one of the reasons why orlando has eclipsed it so dramatically in the last 15 20 years mm -hmm. in spite of the fact that it appeals most strongly to families with children and i won't say nobody else aside from that but you would think that las vegas would have the ability to have a wider demographic pull it just hasn't been able to figure it out and uh i think it's i, I think that there's a lot of disparate elements there also like you don't have like in like the, the closest example being orlando is like sure you've got a lot of different entertainment companies but when you boil it down you know, you're really offering like Orlando is really offering like four or five, like four different like products. Basically, you have Universal, mm -hmm. you have Disney, you have the iDrive kind of smorgasbord of products, and then you have the other Orlando stuff. You know, the kind of like the more cultural stuff. But in Vegas, it feels like even even with you know Win and everyone you know gobbling up casinos left and right, it feels like there's less less planning. It feels like it's more. Just everyone wants to do this other, all this other stuff, and it just kind of feels like it's it's not. There's no direction to it. Everybody it, wants to be a restaurateur, and everybody wants yeah. to uh, design shows or or be a producer, but nobody wants to be. 
an actor. Uh, no, they, they don't want to be the operator of a gambling hall. Yeah, yeah. It, there you, know, you go. That's, yeah. that's the way I would put it. Like it's like it'd be like if if everybody in America had a carnival and it was failing, and it turned out that nobody wanted to be a carny. They all just wanted to be like truck drivers. Mm-hmm. Or or more classically, for for some people that'll be listening to this, this will make sense. You know, Vince McMahon is a guy as a wrestling promoter who's always wanted to do anything other than promote wrestling, whether it was promote boxing, promote bodybuilding, be a film producer, um, produce television shows, whatever. In his mind, he wanted to be thought of as something much wider than that. And in the end, or, you know, a political figure, as his wife ran for Senate twice, none of that ever panned out. And ultimately, all he is is a wrestling promoter. And the fact that he doesn't want to be one and is stuck doing it probably makes the wrestling product that he sells worse. It, it's kind of the same thing with the gambling. Like, do these people actually want to be involved in gambling? Probably not. Like, increasingly, no. They, they're they there because the gambling gave them an opportunity, but they really wish they could be doing this other thing instead. And maybe part of that is 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 what happened by introducing people from the themed entertainment industry or more people from the hotel industry or the, the restaurant industry into the gaming industry that they no longer want to be involved in gaming um, and, and actively eschewed that or tried to get away from it. But yeah, like Las Vegas could have gone more family centric. I think if it stayed away from the strip and isolated it to a different area, which it didn't do. Um, there's a lot of things that could have happened in Vegas that never did. And, and that's, that's the long and the short of it, right? Like, what what is in Las Vegas now, particularly under the current COVID situation, is not good for anybody, and is not doing well, and probably won't do well until something dramatically changes. And all we can hope for is that it becomes something. At least to me, what I want to see happen is something more like themed entertainment or just entertainment period geared um, for people like myself who don't who are not going to be attracted to go buy a ticket for Britney Spears. Yeah, and and I think that's the other big one, is um, how like and also like they've transitioned from, like and I and you could tell this from like how the, like the kind of shows they have, but you know they've transitioned from this large kind of um, uh, I, I, I'm trying to like like some of the actual shows and like you know experiences there to this crazy large, you know, like, hey, residency program, like, you know, you know, Lady Gaga that was there, Britney Spears was there, uh, Celine Dion had her, her thing there. And it's like this idea of like doing this rotating entertainment that is just like three or four months residency. And it, and it, and it, and it just, it, it's really just bizarre and weird. And you can, you've been seeing it go for a while, but like, it feels like they're trying to like get the LA audience back every three to four months with something new instead of like actually investing in something that stays longer. I guess maybe that's the ultimate thing of Vegas. Like maybe right now, current Vegas's ultimate legacy is the fact that it needs to change every three to four months and they will not invest in anything that can't. That could be. And that would make sense. I mean, residency has always been in Vegas and I, I, I don't want to necessarily knock that as an idea. Oh, well, a larger, I, I mean like the larger concept of like these super headliners, not like Dean Martin, <coughs> like, like not like the Rat Pack just singing along, but like these huge stage spectacles, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Or, or the idea, like you said, like that it's, it's very rotating and there's, there's not like a permanent entertainment option that exists either. Like, unless it's Cirque du Soleil, like there's Cirque du Soleil and 
the headliners and there's nothing else. There's no in between. There's very few. I mean, maybe like Matt King still has his show. At <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> you know, like there's a couple people that are still going to be out there. I think I, I don't remember is our Penn and Teller still at Rio there. I believe they're still at Rio. Yeah. I mean, they've been at Rio for like 25, 30 years. They've been and, there forever. You know, yeah. They've been they're, there forever. Yeah. They're still there. But like even them, they're like, you know, they're branching out. They got that. Like they've always branched out. They've always done them like, fuck, you know. Like the the, Gen- the Sega Genesis game for crying out loud, but like, um, <laughs> like I mean, they, they've got their television show now that's hugely successful. You know, they're you know they could probably full you know they could close up shop if they really wanted to and just do their television show. Yeah. Um. But, you know, <clears throat> but when you're looking at it, like, like, but I, th- I, th- for me, what I think was interesting is like looking at you know Blue Man Group in Vegas. Like they started in Luxor. They basically you know they they were like one of the first like. Axe added after like Cirque and like, you know, they became hugely successful and like they, and like, you know, then you get Absinthe and all those other shows. Then they basically get a better offer at the Venetian, which, you know, was kind of, you know, like right, you know, after, you know, the jump, you know, jumping of the shark, you know, with all these themed hotels, Mm -hmm. then they end up at Monte Carlo with a completely new show. And then they destroy their old Monte Carlo theater and they get, put into this little Luxor theater, you know, and it, it's just interesting to see like, okay, well, you know, you get courted, you get bought out, you get moved around, and then you get downsized for, you know, like the Monte Carlos, you know, they, their show, their theater got destroyed to Monte Carlo because, you know, they got replaced with that, you know, residence, that, that large, um, you know, stadium for the residency of um, Celine and Gaga and all those people. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's just it's it's incredibly interesting just to see how it's progressed using that one, you know, entertainment company. Um, but yeah, and then also as I said before, like hey, Cirque opening a Cirque show, as you said, is no longer a guaranteed hit. Like there's a lot of you know big questions about it. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways. Um, it's nice to vent about Las Vegas because I miss I miss old Vegas and and watching video of it on YouTube brings back a lot of really good memories and mm-hmm. and uh, you know a, a sense of what it, it could be again. Like I, I know that people people can knock iDrive all they want to, but man, like I'll take iDrive over what Las Vegas is at this stage any day of the week. <laughs> yeah, the um yeah hard to argue. Alrighty, Alan. I think it's time to wrap up. I thought this was going to be ninety minutes, instead it's two hours, and I want to go watch the, the Flyers p- play basketball. So, uh, Alan, where can people find you online at? At Gods on Safari on Twitter. Fantastic. Uh, you can find me at Parkscope Jail on Twitter. Uh, you can find all of us at Parkscope.net and at Parkscope on Twitter. Uh, I think you're working on an article still. Um, I am. I'm still working on stuff. I don't know when I'm going to get it done. But uh, yeah, big surprise! It's about Star Wars Galaxy Z. Yeah, yeah, stopped. exactly. And then I'm going to, um, yeah, and uh, this will sh- this should be up on Thursday. So hopefully the world's still around on Thursday. Uh, we are we are <laughs> we are talking from the past. Um, I, uh, if, I'm, you're, if you're I, hearing this, then it all worked out. I'm I'm I mean I I am of the person that you know I I don't think anything is going to happen on Wednesday personally because I think. Enough people did stupid shit on like last Wednesday that, um, I, or two Wednesdays ago on the on the sixth, is like one went you know play dumb games win dumb prizes kind of situation where right. like hey 
you know, a bunch of idiots think that, you know, this is their right. Well, now they're being slapped with, you know, federal offenses and they are no fly lists now. You know, it's like, okay, well, I'm not doing that, A. B, you know, they're treating this like the actual, you know, white supremacist terrorism action it is and not, you know, oh, those those people, you know, they'll 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 leave us alone. You know, they're actually treating it like a threat. And, you know, and, and, and see, like, you know, they're not being, you know, like we have successfully deplatformed a lot of aggravate aggravators and, you know, it, I, I, so I think we're going to be better, but like, yeah, I, I, there's always a threat for, uh, you know, America always had white supremacist terrorism, um, whether it be, you know, you know, the Oklahoma city bombings or the Unabomber or any stuff like that, you know, it's always going to be here. So hopefully we can finally actually deal with the problem. But that's my uh, that's my soapbox. So I, I, just... I assume I assume the dumbest thing possible will happen, always. But that could mean in this case that it ends up being like DeSantis gets shot, <laughs> or you yeah, know, like yeah. any anything could actually occur. Yeah, like someone like accidentally like blows off their dick or something like that. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. It, yes. Yeah. Just you, you know, like yeah, whatever. Anyways, n- enough of that. Uh, we'll see you guys later. Uh, Love everybody, hate everything, uh, and we'll talk to you on the next episode. Peace. Kungaloosh. Kungaloosh.